0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary.
1: Welcome to Critics at Large, a podcast from The New Yorker. I'm Vincent Cunningham.
0: I'm Alex Schwartz. And I'm Nomi Fry. We're all staff writers at The New Yorker. And each week on this show, we make sense of what's happening in the culture right now and how we got here. Hi, everyone. Hello. Hey. Hello. How is everyone doing? Doing great. Good. We're
1: good. Okay. Very well. Love's in the air.
0: Love is in the air, Vince, and that is so true because you know what's coming up. Yes, my friends, it's Valentine's Day, mm-hmm. and today's show is surprisingly not about finding happiness, no, nope. and true love, no. <laughs> we are here instead <laughs> to celebrate. Or commiserate about something that I think is arguably maybe even more universal. And that, my friends, is wretched love.
2: Mm.
0: Alex, would you like to help me think about what
3: wretched love might mean? Yes, well, the full disclosure is that the phrase wretched love popped into my head. (laughs) Fully formed. (laughs) Fully formed um, when we were thinking about what it might mean to do a show around this time of year. And I think one reason why is that we all know there are some good stories about true love, happy ending love. Yes, there are. But there are many more stories and many more interesting works of art, I think, about love that has gone awry or that in some Mm -hmm. way has been thwarted or that has been unfulfilled or that has, you know, um, driven the lovers absolutely mad with passion, desire, Rage, confusion, whatever it might be, and I just thought we could bundle all of them up mm-hmm. under the moniker Wretched Love.
0: Yeah, very true. Uh, where
3: would the culture be without you, Wretched Love? That's I what mean, I want to uh, know. Where would
0: art be without you?
1: Well, I mean, that's art, what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, we
3: would have no Romeo and Juliet. We would have no Petrarchan sonnets. We would have, you know, come on, guys.
1: Yeah, we wouldn't even have the Inferno, Beatrice.
3: Beat- Beatrice, where would you be?
1: <laughs> where would you be?
3: Where would we be
0: without? Beatrice. Well, that's, that's, that's a real question.
1: <laughs> that's a that, that might be the question. title of this episode. Yeah, I, I mean,
0: that. and who knows? Maybe the next 45 minutes will be just that. But one question that I have for all of us is that, you know, especially vis-a-vis uh, the peg of Valentine's Day, which is coming up swiftly. As a culture, we're obsessed with celebrating love. We're obsessed with happy endings, obsessed with finding the one. At the same time, we keep getting drawn back to stories of love not working out, of love being wretched. Why? What we do know for sure right now at this moment is that we are going to share our favorite stories about wretched love. And also, excitingly, we're going to hear, for the first time ever, from listeners mm. of critics at large. So excited about wow. their favorite wretched love stories. And, you know, we just can't wait can't for that. Wait. Okay. So that's today on Critics at Large, Wretched Love Edition. Okay. So, let me start by asking you, critics, what does a good wretched love story do for you? What's what's the appeal? Of a wretched love story. How 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 is it supposed to
3: make you feel? I think the feeling is equivalent to eating a really hot pepper. (laughs) <laughs> and you know how there are pepperheads who just seek I'm out a bit of a
1: pepperhead. Are you a pepperhead? Love a pepper. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like
3: you'd go you go for what, – what's the – There's of, a
1: challenge at my favorite bar that I'm going to take. Like they've got this like crazy hot sauce they soak the wings in. That's and like it. whoever does it gets up on the wall. I'm like, I'm prepared. I'm going to do yes.
3: it. Yes. So, so that So feeling, it's just like going on hot hot ones. Well, it's not like going on hot ones <laughs> <laughs> so much as it is the eating of the hot wing itself um, or the hot pepper. You know, I'm talking about that feeling – that excruciating feeling that is somehow weirdly pleasurable. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. it could be pleasurable for different reasons. You know, you might be drawn to a story of wretched love because you have experienced such a situation and it is you need your heartbreak or you need your desire or you need your yearning to be reflected back to you in the case of someone else. You know, I mm-hmm. think we want our deep desire is for stories to end well. Somehow, the thwarting of these expectations narratively can itself be a form of excruciating pleasure. I think. Yeah, Vincent, what do you think?
1: Yeah, and I think there is a one thing I love in all art, whether it's songs, novels, whatever, is the feeling of someone's sort of the texture of someone else's reminiscence. You know? Yes. Um, going back into the past with someone else, and so so often that's the structure of these stories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know. You almost get a figure of the narrator looking backward. Um, and everybody's experienced this, right? The worst day of your life is also the, the day that you remember the best for whatever. It, it creates yes. a richness of detail, yeah. a sort of clarity mm-hmm. that only like grief and sorrow bring. Mm-hmm. Um, and going on that journey with someone else is, is, I think, just a portal open into everything that we like about art generally.
0: Yeah, I think that's really true. And I think there is also something I, I personally love seeing desperation on the page. I think there's something about having a subject kind of flayed open in yeah. that way that lends itself to a kind of like psychological acuity and depth that I find satisfying. Anyway, enough about (laughs) us, my friends. Today, as I said, we're going to be hearing for the first time from our listeners. Uh, We asked for voicemails about our listeners' favorite Wretched Love stories,
3: and you have responded.
1: Oh, my God. Did we get them?
3: And did we get them? Well, we've heard that we've got them. We should just be clear. We have not heard your voicemails yet. Yes. The anticipation is— The yearning
0: is palpable. It's at
3: ten In the
0: studio. We yearn for you. This is, we are like a young virgin. Let's hear on, them. <laughs> Just, I can't take it bridal night. Sorry. Okay, okay. Enough, enough. You're making
1: okay. me wretched. Jeez. <laughs>
0: no. Okay. Vincent, who <laughs> okay. will be our DJ, will be playing us the voicemails, Ooh. and we can't wait to hear them. Vincent, hit it. Oh
1: my God, I can't wait. This is so great. <laughs> okay.
4: Hello, critics. My name is Elizabeth, and the love story that always wrecks me is that of Eleanor Dashwood and Edward Ferrer's in Jane Austen's Sense and Sensibility. Oh. Uh, the Dashwood women being down and out with Eleanor at the helm, carrying all the stress for them with little thought of herself, but then finding a soulmate in Edward Ferrer's. And then the sadness when she learns that he's secretly bequeathed and feels honor-bound to his promise oh. until getting to the end of the story and we learn that Edward has suddenly become available for love and Eleanor is no longer alone in her burdens. Um, of course, it's very beautiful in the novel, but it wrecks me even more when I see it played out by Emma Thompson in the 90s uh, film adaptation of the book. My behavior at Norton was very wrong. But I convinced myself that you felt any friendship for me. She just perfectly breaks down after hearing the news. You know, after all she's gone through, that Edward's not married and she has someone to share her joys and her sorrows with. And it just gets me every time. That my heart is and always will be yours.
3: Okay.
1: Elizabeth, I wish you could see what you've done to the faces of Alex and Melissa. I mean, already,
3: I'm living it. Thank you, Elizabeth. Thank you, Elizabeth. I'm living it all over again. Yeah, Ang Lee's amazing adaptation of Sense and Sensibility is. H- highly recommend – if if you're a listener of the show, if you're part of this small subset of people who both listen to the show and haven't seen that movie, <laughs> I strongly recommend that you join – you jump on in yeah. with the rest of us. Yeah. I mean we're dealing, OK, with a very important category of wretched love story right off the bat, mm-hmm. which is love – lovers separated by circumstance. We're dealing with honor, obligation, things that really get in the way of us fulfilling our greatest desires. Yeah. OK. Vincent, you want to play us another Let's one? Let's do
5: it. Let's do it. Hi, my favorite wretched love story is *Amor Verrubado*. Uh, in particular, the Constance Garnett translation, because each time I read it, I'm a different wretched lover, and they're also miserable all the time. And the striking thing about their wretchedness is they keep choosing it over and over again to make the choice that they know will bring them often further from happiness, and yet they do it anyway.
0: And yet they do it anyway. Brilliant
3: articulation of the dynamic at the heart of that novel.
0: Yes. You just can't, you know, being driven to make the wrong choice, Mm -hmm. right? Anna, unable to keep away from the rake Vronsky, uh, (laughs) knows, we all know it's going to end in tears. Uh, Worse than tears, in fact. Um, Okay.
1: Okay, we can move on.
0: Move on.
2: I highly recommend Sylvia by Leonard Michaels. Oh, I love that. It's really, it's a heartbreaking account of marrying and then losing a mentally ill person. And it reminded me a lot of my first serious relationship and the regret that followed me for a long time after.
5: It's really beautiful and heartbreaking at the same time.
1: Oh my god, thank you for sharing that.
3: Yeah. Yeah, really, I love I, I love Sylvia. Have you guys read it? No. no I have read Leonard Michael's short stories, but I've not read Sylvia. Yeah,
2: it's
0: beautiful. It's a short, it's kind of a novella, you know, it's maybe like 120 pages or something, and it's about a man who m- marries a woman. It's the the context is sort of Greenwich Village, Bohemia. There's a lot of dr- kind of drugs and, and you know, a kind of like an, an attempt to try to build a new world in this kind of like artsy circle. But uh, Sylvia is mentally ill and, uh, and the, the protagonist is both drawn to her and yet cannot be with her because it's impossible to be with her. And there is a constant sort of push and pull between these two polarities. It's an impossible of, in other words.
1: Thank you for that recommendation. And again, this whole thing of like, and it reminds me of my own, like, this is the thing that art does, right? Like, you can can lose yourself for a moment in the the story of the other, but it also creates this zone for contemplation. Okay, here we go.
4: My submission is the notebook. the movie with Ron Gosling.
0: Um, That's all. Thank you. Short and sweet. You guys, I have a confession.
1: You haven't seen The Notebook. I haven't seen The Notebook. Uh, Well, so, like I said about reminiscence, it's somebody in the present sitting you down. And we'll talk about this later when we get to the literature that we're talking Mm -hmm, about. mm -hmm. But somebody sitting in a a real or imagined chair telling you about the past, this is what's good about The Notebook Um, and what is excruciating about it, makes Mm. your stomach hurt about Mm. it. Anyway, um, here we go.
4: My favorite wretched love story is Wuthering Heights. Oh, yes. I read this book about a year ago and the way it has stuck with me is crazy. Kathy and Heathcliff are just, you can tell how passionate they are and yet they make their love everyone else's problem. <laughs> Yeah, it's
3: true that there. I mean, this is a classic wretched love text, and it's true that the love of Kathleen Heathcliff is wretched for everybody. It ruins yeah. lives, left and right, <laughs> left yeah. and right. It is not just their problem. That is it's right,
0: right, and it's about a love that burns as uh, desperately and, and and you know strongly as hate, a love that is almost hate. Okay, Vincent. okay, we're gonna. Yeah, I. My name is Diana,
2: and I'm calling to tell you about my favorite brutish love story. It's the
3: movie version of Wuthering Heights oh. uh, with
1: Merle Oberon and Laurence Olivier. Laurence Olivier is a complete and total monster. <laughs> <laughs> Subsequently, Kate Bush
2: recorded a song called Wuthering Heights yeah, where she, she, she uh, described the love affair between Kathy and Heathcliff. And so those two things together uh, really
5: kind of make this one that I can't forget about and I will always tear up when i watch or uh will always sing along to when i listen to the kate bush song thanks a lot Bye-bye. i
0: love this song
1: let's listen to the it real song. quick because we already Cliff, talked about
2: it's me, Kathy. <laughs>
0: Sorry. it's
1: okay we're gonna make sure this song lives up to what you just did
0: oh yeah it's it'll be hard but you know I- <laughs> I <needed> you I <laughs> you <laughs> uh, So good
1: Okay I think we got the texture of this Thank mm. you for that This is going on a playlist of mine Wait till I Is this your first this encounter up. with this song? This is oh,
3: Wait, Vincent, really? you have to wait to the chorus Okay mm-hmm.
0: i mean this song is the this song is the definition of witchy
3: oh my god it is
1: very witchy it's absolute
0: chills i've been hearing this song since i was like i don't know four years old or whatever and i'm just like oh my god (laughs) in a minute we'll hear more of your wretched love story picks and we three are going to share our own. Stick around. The Run for Revogue is where you'll meet all the most exciting people in fashion and culture.
2: I am Fran Lebowitz, Um who should be the
0: mayor of New York. We all support that. we support that. (laughs) (laughs) Very nice.
1: Nikki. Yes. It's been
0: really great being in this beautiful pink room. All right, Asha, can you hear us?
1: I can hear you. All right. Can you hear me?
0: We can. We can.
1: All right, here we are.
0: (laughs) On the podcast, you'll learn how Vogue really works. Sometimes we'll come in for a second or even third run through until we are... AWOK.
4: Can you tell us what AWOK means? It means um AWOK and a winter okay. I'm Cho and I'm Chloe Mel. And we're the hosts of the Run Through Vogue, where fashion and culture collide. Join us, it's AWOK. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Okay, you guys, these amazing voicemails. By the way, I love our listeners. I love our listeners. do you love our listeners? Listeners,
3: meeting just a smattering of you was a true pleasure. And I think really, to me, affirms the idea of this episode, which is that wretched love, a condition experienced in total excruciating isolation, That's right. must then be processed in the collective together. It's about community. <laughs> <Ultimately>.
2: <laughs> it's true. It brings us together. It's true.
3: It brings us together. Okay, so
0: so now, you guys, it's our turn to share in the share circle. Uh, We three have come today prepared to share our picks for most wretched love story
3: ever. Alex. Here I go. So my choice, well, my choice is, it's two in one. It's both the whole book Desire by the poet Frank Bedard, and also a specific poem within Desire. So this is one of my absolute favorite books of, poetry of all time. Um, it was published in 1997. And I don't even want to get into the times of my life when I've, you know, I've sent this book to to people, perhaps people who I felt that I was um, wretchedly in love well, with. That's kind of it. And, you know, oh, when you hear yeah. a little bit about the story you did the that I've chosen. Send them
1: poetry move. I love
3: this. I had some moves. I had some moves. Alex, ask me if it worked. Ask me if it worked. Ooh. She's married. She has a child. I think but it worked too well. used to be it, didn't, wild. it didn't work at all. Didn't oh, no. work at all. <laughs> it was. It was. Um, yeah, exactly. I used to be wildly sending poetry, off via, <laughs> via the you know the United States Postal Service, just willy nilly.
2: That's a lie. Service? I've only sent
3: this book once. Okay. Yeah. Um, and and it didn't turn out well, but. But <laughs> <a> surprise <laughs> enough about me. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, you know, okay. The title says it all. Desire. So by Frank Bedart. So a lot of the book is about, well, desire um, and longing and love. Um, and one frame that I wanted to bring to the discussion is taboo. Mm-hmm.
2: Because
3: mm-hmm. taboo is at the heart of many wretched love stories. The poem I'm thinking of is called The Second Hour of the Night. In this particular poem... Is the most horrifying love story I've ever encountered <laughs> in my life. And it comes to us hot from the pen of Ovid 2000 years ago. We yeah. are talking, we That's are going camp. back in time. Yeah. We are going back in time. And it is the story of Mira, a young girl, young girl of, you know, 18 or so, mm-hmm. and her father, Cinerus, mm-hmm. who is the king of Cyprus, and the unholy sexual love between them. I'd just like to restate for clarity.
0: So Desire is a book by Frank Bedart that he published in 1997, but it's based on the ancient story about Mira and This poem uh, written by Ovid.
3: Yes, I know. I'm being very confusing. So this poem in the book Desire by Frank Bedart, this poem called The Second Hour of the Night, includes an ancient story by Ovid rendered by Bedart in his own language. Yes, Yes, that is right. So what I love about the poem is the way that it deals with the intensity, the roiling intensity of the desire that Mira feels for Sinneris. It it is the daughter's desire that is driving the story forward. And this stuff, like, we're talking about the most perverse stuff there is. Mm -hmm. But what Bedard does in this poem is articulate it in ways that if you have felt thwarted desire or thwarted love or thwarted lust— you will know the feelings that are being articulated in their most extreme form. Yeah. And what makes the story wretched is that there's literally no way to make it okay. It's not like if um Sinnerist was like, "Cool, I'm down with it." It would all be great. It's in fact that would be even worse. Like nothing can make this all right. It is absolutely cursed and doomed. Um but if you get this book, you will see that it is heart-rending and um also sexy in a way that makes you feel disgusting because Probably. it shouldn't be. Yeah. And that's yep. like the effect of this. It puts you right in the position of the wretchedness of the love.
0: That is the work of literature, my friends. Yes.
3: Would you like to hear a little bit of it? Please. Yes. Um, all right. I cannot read too much of it because honestly, I'm worried about uh, scandalizing. I mean, we're talking about a poem. I'm worried about scandalizing <laughs> the listening public. But there, there are a couple of things I just want to read. Um, okay. The, and Bedart describes a moment when Mira the daughter realizes what it is she wants and he says she is awake only during the lucid instant between what she recognizes must happen and what happens and the wretchedness of that the horror of that this kind of acting beyond your own control recognizing what it is you're about to do and having to shut your moral eye to it mm-hmm. is something that this poem gets across so well Um, He also writes, he says of the horrifying, crucial moment, as Mira is drawn down the dark corridor toward her father, not free not to choose, she thinks to each soul it's hour." And that question, not free not to choose, is so good. Mm -hmm. Not free to Mm -hmm. choose, something we're all very familiar with. It Mm -hmm. means you have Mm -hmm. no freedom. Not free not to choose is a completely different kind of freedom because you're going to act on it. You're going to do something that seems to be beyond your own will. And I think – being completely just kind of subject to whatever it is your will is expressing through you, that is a fascinating and wretched position to be in. Yeah, you're driving the train, and yet
0: you're a passenger on the train at the same time. It pierces me. It pierces you. And I I want to use this passage maybe as a hinge to your selection, Vincent, because when I was reading this, I was thinking about the book that you have chosen to share with us as an example of... Wretched Love, which yeah. is um James Baldwin's Giovanni's Room.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so um Giovanni's Room is the second novel by James Baldwin. He uh, publishes it in 1956 and it's about um an American named David. He sounds like a sort of archetypical hearty American, you know. He's he's uh born as he says in San Francisco, raised mostly uh, out east, and is you know tall, blonde, um, and about to be engaged. He's about to be engaged to a woman named Hella. About to marry her. That is. Meanwhile, David, who has had affairs with men in the past, he's he slept, um, he says, with this boy named I believe Joey before. But so he's talking about even before he gets to the the main object of desire that is named in the book, which is a, an Italian bartender named Giovanni. But even before he gets to that, he talks about this very issue, um, a sort of fate and choice. He says, for I am or I was one of those people who pride themselves on their willpower, Mm -hmm. on their ability to make a decision and carry it through. This virtue, he says, like most virtues, is ambiguity itself. People who believe that they are strong willed and the masters of their destiny can only continue to believe this by becoming specialists in self deception Their decisions are not really decisions at all. A real decision makes one humble. One knows that it is at the mercy of more things than can be named. But elaborate systems of evasion, of illusion, designed to make themselves and the world appear to be what they and the world are not. This is certainly what my decision, made so long ago in Joey's bed, came to. Mm. Uh, and, And over and over, this is another one of those stories where, you know, it's told... On one night in the present of the text, David is awaiting, uh, sorry for the spoiler, but it's not a spoiler. We're told very early on that Giovanni's about to be executed. At the end of their love affair, Giovanni has committed a crime. And he's about to be executed. And so David is in his apartment, um, drinking all the, all the way through the night, thinking again, reminiscing back about this love affair, telling mm-hmm. us about it. Um, and so just as the narrative is separated between the present and the, and the past. It's also structured as a dialectic almost between sort of desire and actuality. What we want to be doing, when he first walks into the bar, he's not trying to be with Giovanni. He says, you know, trying to, again, self evade. He says, you know, I'm kind of queer for girls, he says. It's like funny like remark that he yeah. puts out. Um, but they, these guys start flirting in the bar. You want a flirtation scene? The Oof. first conversation between David and Giovanni—it's like they're this like sort of negging flirtation, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and of course, they go to a, a go to lunch one day soon, and they are in each other's. They're in that room together. Yeah. Um, it is. It's it's one of my favorite novels. It's an amazing work of fiction, and the fact that the the, the sort of narrator in the present who can gives us give us glimpses of. Fate, mm-hmm. the actuality of what has happened, mm-hmm. but also can reminisce almost like it seems like involuntarily he must divulge. You
0: yeah, know? the whole thing is involuntary, in fact, right? Giovanni, you know, kind of reawakens this involuntary desire. And, and from there on, it's just it's on, you know, again, once again, the sort of the train he's being he's both a passenger. He's both the driver and the passenger. That's right, and of course there is the 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 notion. Obviously, the taboo of homosexuality, and I think impossibility is you know I, I, it's it's kind of like a leitmotif of as as we've been been discussing of of wretched love, and I think it also plays a part in the book that I have chosen to mm-hmm. bring to you guys today, yeah. which is. I really uh,
1: enjoyed. It. This is my first time reading this, so I really isn't enjoyed. Isn't it
0: so amazing? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a Girl's Story by Annie Arno. Uh This book was published in 2016, but it takes place in um, 1958. This is Erno in her autofiction looking back at herself as an 18-year-old girl, a virgin, for the first time leaves her home to go be a counselor at mm-hmm. a camp, at a co-ed camp, and, uh, which, which then becomes the scene of their kind of sexual Awakening, And this happens predominantly via uh, who she calls H, who is a slightly older 22-year-old head counselor, who one night early on during the camp chooses her seemingly almost at random um, at a d- the first dance, the first party that mm-hmm. the counselors have, and takes her back to his room and attempts to have sex with her he can't enter her she's a virgin you know they have this kind of like uh, complication and she immediately falls dangerously in love with this guy who cares nothing for her you know it's it's like mm-hmm. a completely pathetic desperate encounter with this man and yet he becomes her life essentially Alex, I know you uh, interviewed Orno and you wrote a beautiful profile of her a couple of years ago when beautiful. she won the Nobel Prize in in literature. Um, and in general, Orno, Orno's her
3: is full of wretched, of wretched oh, love. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, and just when we think it that, that I think it that no get no more wretched. I know she, dro- <laughs> <laughs> she, she drops, she drops a new <laughs> exactly. Yeah, she she drops a new a new little bit of wretchedness for us yeah. to lap yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. One thing that I that is so fascinating. There are a few things that are fascinating about this book to me, and I love that you chose it. Um, what she's trying to do is to account for something that happened, but that she can still make very little sense of, which is both the act itself and. The abasement that she felt and that she subjected herself to, I mean, she describes in this book basically kind of becoming like throwing herself into sexual experience Mm -hmm. and getting a bit of a reputation. Yes, because
0: after he rejects her, she gets sort of – she allows herself to be passed around between different boys in the camp. It's a kind of origin story, right? It's an origin story through um, kind of the pipeline of, of self-abasement, of self-negation, you know, um, which I just think, you know, and, and she writes, I just want to quote a short thing. Um, she talks about how only she remembers these occurrences. Nobody else cares. Nobody else remembers. Nobody else was really privy or witness, obviously not to the extent that she was. Uh, to think I am the only one to remember which I believe to be the case enchants me, as if I were endowed with a sovereign power, a clear superiority over the others who were there in the summer of 58. Bequeathed by the shame I felt about my desires, my insane dreams in the streets of Rouen, my blood that ceased to flow at 18 as if I were an old woman. I am endowed by shame's vast memory, more detailed and implacable than any other, a gift unique to shame." And so this wretchedness and the shame about the wretchedness has this kind of enlargening quality. And I think that is kind of often with literature, the gift that wretched love gives us is that sort of texture and detail that comes, comes honestly through the kind of remembrance because it's so wretched.
1: All right, we we have to break, I think, but before we go, should we just play another couple of voicemails?
3: Yes. Absolutely. All right, here we go. Hi, critics at large. Hi. Uh, Hi. This is
4: Meg. I Hi, Meg. I am an opera fanatic. Oh, yeah. So much wretched love in opera. Uh, but my, my favorite wretched love story actually is Eugene Onyek mm.
2: Tchaikovsky's
4: score.
3: Just kills me every time. And... When I try to explain it to other people,
4: they're like, oh, well, but why not um, Traviata or Butterfly? And I think you just have to hear it to understand it.
1: Okay, we're going to listen to just a tiny little clip.
0: This is Anna Netrebko singing the famous letter scene at the Met by the way.
1: Perhaps this is all meaningless. (laughs) I'm looking at the subtitles. (laughs) But so be it. I had now entrusted my fate to you. (laughs) Oh (laughs) oh my God. I weep before you. Uh, I plead for your protection.
0: Wow. Oh my God! I've never heard anything <laughs> well, so glad, wretched in my life.
3: Well, I am glad that Meg brought us to the world of opera because, of course, if you want to talk wretched love, you could just—you know—you could it. never leave opera, and, and you'd have meat for a, a lifetime. lifetime. That's yeah. right.
1: Um, okay, let's move on.
0: I wretched love story that popped into my mind is the song "The Last Time I Saw Richard." Oh
1: God! From
0: Joni Mitchell's Blue album in 1971. Okay, I, th- I think we have to play it.
1: Richard Love FM. Sending this one out to all the Richards in the world. All the lovers tonight.
3: <laughs> oh my God, Vincent.
1: <laughs> and Joni, this is for you too. <laughs> oh, God.
3: I mean just earlier this week? At the Grammys. We saw Johnny at the Grammys. Johnny's much on my mind.
2: The last time I saw Richard was Detroit in sixty eight and he told me all romantics meet the same fate someday. Cynical and drunk and boring someone in some dark cafe.
3: It seems to be a wretched love story about romantics themselves and maybe romanticism and that it ends up in this dark, sad, terrible, tragic place where nobody cares and no one wants the sweet feelings of love and all the pretty lies.
2: The idea that
3: it's just a phase, that the life of a romantic is just a sad phase
4: it always breaks my heart when I hear it because it's so terrible and it's so beautiful, um, which I think is what a wretched love story should be.
3: That is exactly what a wretched love story should God, be. God, I
0: love our listeners. They're so good. Thank you so much to everyone who called in or wrote in and we got so many submissions. Oh my gosh. We couldn't include them all, but we truly loved hearing from each and every one of you.
2: Said, it's just that now you're... Sizing some pain that's in your head. You got tombs in your eyes, but the songs you punched your dream.
0: Critics at large, will be right back.
2: Love so sweet, love so sweet. When you're gonna get yourself back on your
4: feet.
5: Oh. Hi, I'm Michael Calori, the co-host of Wireds Gadget Lab.
3: And I'm Lauren Good, the other co-host of
5: Wireds Gadget Lab. Get ready to dive deep into the cultural phenomenon that's been shaping conversations, sparking movements, and breaking barriers for over a decade. The new three-part docuseries Black Twitter, a People's History, based on the groundbreaking Wired cover story by Jason Parham, explores everything from the fun, games, and inside jokes that characterized the early years of Black Twitter, to the social movements, the voices, and the hashtags that made Black Twitter an influential force in nearly every aspect of American political culture. Join us as we unravel the threads of this digital community, tracing its origins, celebrating its triumphs, and exploring its impact on society at large. Watch the series from Onyx Collective in association with Wired Studios,
3: premiering on Hulu on May 9th.
0: Okay, my friends, wretched should love Wretched love. We've talked, wretched love. we've heard from our listeners.
3: Why do you think these stories resonate with us so much? Well, one, I'm sorry if this is big, dumb, and obvious, but one big, dumb, and obvious thing is that many people have experienced their own stories of wretched love. We've heard this from our listeners, that you need those feelings to be reflected back because to be alone with this is too much and too great. And in fact... You know, none of us are alone with this because we have all these works of art around us, you know, be they yeah. movies or music or books or whatever. You know, another thing that I'm thinking about is that each of the choices that we brought to the table all have to deal with taboo. Mm-hmm. They all have to yeah. deal with a forbidden – something that is forbidden. I mean, it's the, – the taboo that has lasted the longest is the oldest, the one from Ovid as refracted through the beautiful words of Frank Bedart, which is – Incest, But, you know, we also have gay love in the 50s Mm -hmm. and we have an unwed Catholic woman in the 50s. We are in a moment when most taboos, maybe not. Well, yeah, I mean, quite a lot of the old taboos around love have been, if not totally broken, then seriously damaged, which Mm -hmm. is a great thing for society. Society.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
3: You can't have a contemporary Giovanni's room yeah. in the same way. And yeah. the experience of the wretchedness in some way is about going against the social grain and going against the part of the self that wants to um, be in the world. It's and, true. And live it's true. in society.
0: Yes. I do think that, Alex, you're completely right when thinking about how the the contours of what constitutes a wretched love affair change because of you know societal changes obviously you know and i mean and thank god for that but i think what i like still about these books is that i think there is a certain taboo about desperation (laughs) Mm -hmm. or kind of like revealing the contours of the self in a way that shows the self to be degraded in a way, not a taboo. I mean, a sure. taboo is too is no, no t- I think too you're onto something here. it's yeah. too strong of a word. Certainly, it's not the taboo of incest or you know what have you. But you know, when I think about, for instance, about her, no, and this is something you talked about in your profile with when you interviewed her. Sh- certainly, the question of like, I think women nowadays, even though we have. Uh, supposedly, or, you know, in, in in advanced society and so on, all the freedom that we might want, allegedly, at least, we're still drawn to these stories because I think it actually they provide a kind of um, counterpart to the figure of, I don't know if you want to call her the girl boss, or, you know, I, I, I think the sort of, like, investigation of... Feminine desperation caused by a story of wretched love. There is a great kind of like release uh, for me, at least, when I read these books. In the acknowledgement of, that the wretchedness is still there, despite all the seeming opportunities that women have before them. Does that does that make sense? Yeah,
1: I think that's not. I mean, I, I, I definitely see that, especially mm-hmm. um, with women. This this issue of the abject right yeah that ab- abjection being itself a kind of taboo yeah um which poses at least to me um it's not the taboo itself that is the object of the wretched love I think taboo opens up for us a space to ask something that's really important about love, I think which is like did this happen to me or is it something that was like like a germ? That was in me from the beginning and is love, something that discloses something about me. Mm. Right. Like you said about the driver or the passenger on the train. Mm -hmm. Can I read really quickly like one passage from Bedart that really to me does this? I would love if you did. After everything happens with with Mira, um, there's a weird – I love this part. It's like all of a sudden it goes up to Olympus and it's like the gods start asking like who did this? The gods, like so, the gods. It says who knew who know what we want, not why. Asked who among them had placed this thing in Mira. Each god, in turn, denied it. Cupid indignantly insisted that his arrows abhorred anything so dire. Venus seconded her son. Cupid then said that such implacable events brought to mind the Furies. And this is the part that I really like. The Furies, who when roused, growled that in a corollary matter they justly again and again had been beseeched, but upon inspection exertion by immortals was unneeded. Mm. So it's not the gods. None of
3: the gods made her this way. She was born this way. That's in you. Born this way. Yeah, yeah, it's it's
1: in. And so this question of like, like, there is fate in this, right? But it's like where fate lies above or within, that question I think is what like the question of abjection Mm
2: -hmm.
1: helps us to ask. Taboos help us to ask this question, which I think is like basic to all of our questions about our own lives. Did that happen because of me or because of something else?
3: Yeah, I mean, that's I love that passage that you just brought up, and it makes me think of something else, which is just this question about desire. Can we change our own desire? Mm-hmm. Is it ever mm-hmm. desirable for us to change our desire? And I think there is some sense in these in these stories we're looking at of a choice being taken away, of not being able, yeah. just like the passage I read before um, from Frank Bedard's book of you're not free not to choose, yeah, being chosen for. now. If you expand the lens, you know, beyond any of the moments, you know, these are all short and intense works in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of wretched love stories are that. Like Anna Karenina is kind of the exception that it goes on for years. You know, Giovanni's Room takes place over a really short period of time. And as we've been saying, the narrator is in one moment. It's basically this long night, literally night, but also night of the soul. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, a girl's story is about a summer like – when you widen the lens, life goes on and yeah. there's, a you know, maybe a new lover, maybe a different lover, maybe <laughs> yeah. your sense of yourself has changed. But I think there is a need for all of us, much like Arnaud does in a girl's story, to return to like the scene of the crime, to the return scene of the crime. to yeah. that moment because that was mm-hmm. part of what made you who you were. Yes, yes. Yeah. It's like the key, the key to your own mythology
0: uh in a way. And yeah, and I'm wondering also now that – taboos are no longer what they once <laughs> used to be. For our wretched love stories, what takes their place? Like, now that that's not an obstacle anymore, you know, you can have queer love, you can be a slut, <laughs> you know? Like, what,
2: mm-hmm.
0: what, happens, what happens now?
3: Well, the first thing I want to say is against my own idea of taboo. It's an argument with myself, which is taboos are still... Maybe stronger than we think they are. Right. I'm talking even about a taboo like an affair. You know, I'm talking because Richard Love needs a blockage to fulfillment. Yeah, and feelings still often get in the way. Mm-hmm. So um, true. Yeah, just to be a just to be a total millennial. Sally Rooney's books, I think, deal with some of these feelings quite well. Completely. Because they get at all the things in a society of the free that actually are not free. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, you may you 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 may just not your desires may not meet up at the right moment. Your communication may be bad. It sounds really basic, but like I'm thinking of her first book, Conversations with Friends. An affair the best,
1: is, the best Rooney. I should is, say. I
3: agree. Um, I agree too. And an affair is going mm-hmm. on with you know married man and but you know oh scandalous. Except that maybe it's okay. Maybe his wife will actually like be all right with it. But but then what happens? Then what happens? What it does to you? How you are changed? What you want that can't totally match up with what's mm-hmm. available? Um, you know even when the conceit is freedom there are the internal limits we bump against them again and and again
1: tellingly like this whole thing of like taboo morality choice and non-choice one of the things that happens is that the the main character goes into a church and prays and faints it's like the place where you learned that what you're doing is wrong or hurtful or the the place where you got the feeling in your gut you know conscience is where she like the final resort of this character which Mm -hmm. i've always loved yeah
0: Yeah, I mean, the thing about desire is that we're ultimately all islands to ourselves, right? And what you say, Alex, about, like, desires not matching up, not meeting up, is, you know, we go to works of art to feel that we are not alone, that other people have experienced things similar to the ones we are experiencing, you know, and specifically in the realm of wretched love in in this case. But ultimately, we are... Lonely animals, you know, and, and that in itself are the fact that we are individuals onto ourselves is the number one obstacle <laughs> to achieving love that is not wretched. And that doesn't always happen. Well, I feel a little less bleak than you do maybe. About- it's not bleak. But I mean, sometimes it matches up. It's not not impossible. No, no,
3: not at all. Not at all. Um, You know, there's a whole other genre stories we're ignoring right now that that would argue that it it can indeed match up. But what I think is true about the Wretched Love story is that, you know, back to my Pepper analogy, we (laughs) like – to you know, I think that's what is going on with Annie or you no. Know, she's going back into the past because she needs to reconnect to that feeling of being super hyper alive. And certain very strong emotions like shame or disappointment or um, unfulfilled lust or love or whatever it might be, just bring that up again. Uh, and I think that is why the wretched love story will always be with us, and I hope always is with us because you know what could be more boring than not having them?
0: Here, 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 here. This has been Critics at Large. Our senior producer is Rhiannon Corby, and Alex Barish is our consulting editor. Our executive producer is Stephen Valentino. Condé Nast's head of global audio is Chris Bannon. Alexis Quadrado composed our theme music, and we had engineering help today from Gabe Caroga with mixing by Mike Kutchman. You can find every episode of Critics at Large at newyorker.com Critics. Thank you so much for your Wretched Love Story recommendations. We hope to do more episodes like this in the future. We loved hearing from you. Speaking of, if you've got an idea for an episode you'd like to hear, email us at themail@newyorker.com at with the subject line Critics. We'll keep an eye on our inbox. See you next Thursday.
5: Make sure you're following Dinner SOS wherever you're listening now.